Bibles and turn with me again to the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 4. This morning we dealt with uh, Colossians chapter 4 verses uh, 2 through 4 and uh, everything that we saw this morning, we saw that Paul was directing the Colossian church to an outward focus, to think outwardly in regard to the gospel. Uh, much of Paul's letter up to this point has been focused inward, inward at the church, where they have been uh, dealing with uh, right doctrine, uh, dealing with how you live out the truth of the supremacy of Christ uh, in your life. And, and now he has shifted that focus and he's moving it toward uh, what it means to think outwardly, to think about the, the gospel advancing there in Colossae and advancing even beyond there. You see, for Paul, it wasn't merely enough for them to have a right theology or for them to have a, a, a holy lives. You see, Christianity isn't just concerned with, with right beliefs. It's not just concerned with, with right practices. All those, those things are definitely important, and they're spoken about over and over again in the New Testament. Christianity, at its core, is an evangelistic religion. Christianity is a religion that is missions-minded, that is set on the nations, that is set on the gospel going forth to, to people here and there and all around the world. Anything less is not biblical. A Christianity that is only inward-focused, a church that is only inward-focused, is not a biblical church. And so Paul reminds them at the end of this letter, he's coming to the end now, he reminds them that, that they need to be setting their hearts, setting their minds on being outward, on the gospel going forth uh, from them, advancing from there in Colossae all the way uh, to the ends of the earth. Now, as we look from our 21st century perspective, where we are right here, where we are right now, we think about how we do missions right now and think about how we do evangelism and how we, how we promote the gospel now. And then we think back to their context 2,000 years ago. And we, we think, how, how could it be possible? How could it be possible for the gospel to ad, advance there in Colossae? How, how could it be possible for the gospel to advance from from these, just this small group of people who were the early believers to all across the Roman Empire, really all across their known world. How could that be possible? Because when we look and think about missions and evangelism and the promotion of the gospel in our day and age, we think about all these resources that we have. You know, if you, if you want to proclaim the gospel, if the gospel is going to advance, you need certain tools in order for that to happen. You, you need radio programs that are going to broadcast it around the world and you need billboards that are going to proclaim it and maybe even movies that are going to show who Christ is you need to have tracks that make the gospel simple and that you can hand out and that makes it easy for people to have access to and we think in our context today about the the gospel and how we promote the gospel well you really need a building that's going to draw people in and you have to have a, a great church program in that building that's going to appeal to the masses, that's going to draw them in. And really what you need is you've got to have some kind of dynamic speaker. You've got to have somebody that can, that can speak, who's charismatic, who's fun to listen to, who will really draw the people in so they can hear the gospel. That's what you really need to have in order for the gospel to advance. 
or, or that's what it might seem like the way we do things in, in our church in, in America. So when we, we look and we think about how the gospel is promoted in our day, how, how we work to have the gospel advanced today, and we look at their context, and, and we almost have to think and ask Paul, how can you expect, how can you really expect for the gospel to go forth all throughout your world? You don't have any of that stuff. Think about the church at Rome. They didn't have any of these things. Think about the church at Ephesus, the church at Philippi, the church at Colossae. They didn't have any of these things. They didn't have dynamic speakers. They didn't have radio where they could proclaim everything out. They didn't have cars so they could take the gospel around. How in the world could the gospel go forth without all these tools, without all these resources, without all this stuff? Now, now I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm not saying that these things are bad. I'm not saying that having resources and tools and sharing the gospel are a bad thing. No, there are a lot of good resources. There are a lot of good tools when it comes to sharing the gospel. In a few months, we're actually going to do some training on a resource that you can use to take the gospel to your workplace, to your neighborhoods. So there are some really good tools, really good resources that are out there. Well, what I am saying is that maybe, maybe we as the church over the past I don't know, 50, 60, 70, 100 years, I don't know how long, maybe is that we have become so focused on the tools and the methods that are out there that, that maybe we have missed that we need to be relying on God's work through the power of the gospel, through the proclamation of the gospel. That maybe we have missed the way the early church proclaimed the gospel. You see, look, when we look at the book of Acts, we see this small little group of followers of Christ that are gathered together scared after Christ's ascension, not certain what to do. And within just a few short decades, they go from that, that small group that have gathered together in one room in Jerusalem to this whole group that is spread out all throughout the Roman Empire. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of believers in just a few short decades. How did it happen? How did this happen with this small group of people and the gospel going forth this much, across this much of the world? Well, here's how it happened. It was the people of God praying to God, empowered by the Spirit of God, proclaiming the Word of God. That's, that's all that was involved here. It was the people of God praying to God, empowered by the Spirit of God, proclaiming the Word of God. And that's how the gospel advanced from that little room in Jerusalem all the way to the edges of the Roman Empire. They prayed. They trusted in the Spirit's work and the power of God at work in them. They proclaimed the gospel, and the gospel advanced. It went forth. Now, I want to ask you some questions. And this is, we're small in number. You can shout out, and you can, you know, we can be a little, you know, looser tonight. All right, here, here's, here's my first question. Do we have access to the same praying that the early church did? Can we pray to the same God? Yes. All right, are we empowered by the same Holy Spirit? So we, we can pray to the same God. We have the Holy, same Holy Spirit who is dwelling within us. And do we have the same gospel? 
then we have everything that the early church had when it came to them proclaiming the gospel and the gospel advancing through all their world. So you see, you not have everything that is needed for the gospel to advance. We have the God who is sovereign over all things. We have access to praying to the one who is able to open hearts. We have access to pray to the one who is able to open eyes, to see the need for, the, for a savior, to, to pave the way for the gospel. We have access to that. We have the same Holy Spirit who empowered Peter, who empowered James, who empowered John, who worked among those unknown, unnamed believers in the early church. We have that same Holy Spirit dwelling within us and we have that same gospel that Paul said is the power of God and salvation for those who believe first to the the Jew and then unto the Greek we have that same gospel and so you and I as believers today have everything that is needed for the gospel to advance here in Somerset and then on to the ends of the earth we have that and so tonight as we consider as we continue looking at what Paul says, we're going to continue to see how Paul says the gospel advances. This morning, what was the method that we, that we first looked at? That first method we saw this morning? Prayer. We have access to prayer. So that's the first method in the gospel advancing is that believers come together and they pray for the gospel to go forth. They pray for those who are going to hear the gospel. They pray for those who are proclaiming the gospel, that it will go forth in power and that people's lives will be changed through the gospel. And tonight, we'll look at the second way, the second way that the gospel goes forth, and that is through proclamation. It's through us actually proclaiming and speaking the gospel to those who need to hear it. What I want you to notice is there's a personal responsibility here. There's a personal responsibility that that you and I have to proclaim the gospel. We we have this responsibility to be in prayer, prayer for the gospel to go forth, and for us to actually also, you and me, as the body of Christ, to be proclaiming that gospel. And so tonight... We're going to see what Paul says about the proclamation of the gospel, how, how the gospel goes forth. What, it, what is our role in the advance of the gospel? And so first we'll notice is that Paul points us to proclaim the gospel how, by how we live. And let's pick up in verse 5. Proclaiming the gospel by how we live. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. So Paul says, how we live, we proclaim the gospel. So the way that we live, we need to conduct ourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Now we think about that. Who are outsiders that he's speaking of? He's speaking of people who are outside the church. So who are those who are outside the church? Those who are outside the church are are the lost. They're the unbelievers, those who, who do not know Christ. So he says that we conduct ourselves w- with wisdom toward those who are not believers. So this helps us clue into the fact that Paul is continuing to speak here about evangelism, about the gospel going forth. He's not just giving them thoughts on how to live wisely, but thoughts on how to, to live out the gospel in view of people coming to hear about Christ and know him. So we have to think now, what does he mean by walking in wisdom, conducting yourselves in wisdom. Now, you all already know, and you've heard what wisdom is. Wisdom isn't head knowledge. You know, we've we've said before, you can have a PhD in quantum physics and still not be wise. You can have every degree on the wall, but still not 
be wise. Wisdom is the proper use of knowledge. It's, it's the living in the fear of God, as Proverbs tells us. It's the ability to judge correctly, to follow the right course of action. And so Paul says, we need to live wisely and walk in wisdom. Now, I want you to turn over to a passage that's going to maybe help us understand this just a little bit more. Flip back to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is a passage that Paul, again, speaks about wisdom. And he talks about this idea of the wisdom of God. So turn back to this and listen. Listen to what Paul says about wisdom here. It says, for the word, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. It says, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. So where's the wise man? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through his wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews, <clears throat> Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And so he's speaking about the wisdom of God. And the wisdom of God here is God's sovereign choice for Christ to come and bear our sins. It's the gospel. The wisdom of God is the gospel. It's that which seems foolish to the rest of the world. But it says here that that is the wisdom of God. Proverbs 11.30 says, <clears throat> he who is wise, that thing of wisdom, and he who is wise wins souls. And so start putting all this together. Uh, wisdom involves the gospel. You, you've got uh, Proverbs that says, who is wise wins souls. The context of this passage is about the advance of the gospel. And so we get this picture that wisdom, living wisely, conducting ourselves wisely, is going to lead to us proclaiming the gospel. It's going to lead to our lives being involved in, in evangelism, seeking the gospel to be proclaimed. And so Paul tells us that the way that you do that, the way that you do that, the way you conduct yourselves wisely in that, is, uh, is to redeem the time or to uh, make the most of the opportunity, as he says there. Now, in the Greek, the word that's used here literally means to buy back the time. It's a term that was used in the marketplace for going and buying goods. But it doesn't mean just to go out and go to the store and buy one or two things. It's the picture, actually, of buying up everything. Going to the store and getting it all. It's getting everything that's there. Now, uh, if you are a bargain shopper, you, you can kind of know the idea of when you find a deal, you just jump on it and buy a lot of it. Jen and I are bargain shoppers. And so when we find a deal, we jump on it. I came home just a, a few days ago after Jen had gone to the grocery, and we had a, a pantry full of crackers. She found a deal uh, on crackers at Kroger, and Caleb likes crackers, and I like crackers, and Jen likes crackers, and so we had a dozen boxes of crackers 
they were in the pantry because we found a deal on them. And, and I, I, I like that. You know, I come from this, this long line of bargain shoppers. My mom would do that. If she'd find a deal, she would jump on it. My grandfather did that. I, I remember going to his house when I was younger, and when he found Cokes, you know, 12 packs of cans of Cokes on sale, he would buy up as many as he could. And I'd go into his house, and, and there would be a line of 12 packs that are going through his kitchen that would go around into his living room and then go up the steps to his second floor because he just bought as many as they would let him buy. You know, there have been times where I've actually gone in a store and bought every single item they have when I, have, when I find a good deal. Because when I find something that's an opportunity, I want to snatch it up. I want to get it because I don't know when I'm going to get that kind of opportunity again. But that is exactly the picture that we get here. When Paul says that, that you make the most of the opportunity, in the Greek it's this picture of you go and you seek it out and you snatch up whatever opportunity that you can find. Now remember, what's the context that we're talking about? The context is the gospel advancing, the gospel going forth. So Paul here is saying that when you see an opportunity, you snatch it up to take the gospel to proclaim the gospel to someone. When you have that opportunity, you jump on it. You take every opportunity that you get. Now, now I want to stop for a second because I know something that may go through some of our minds. Some some of us may be thinking, because I've thought this myself before, I just don't have a lot of opportunities to share the gospel. I, I I just don't have a lot of chances for that. You know, have you ever known anyone that seems like they just have a lot of things just fall in their lap? They, they just have every kind of opportunity in the world. Just, it just seems to fall in their lap. Whether it comes to, to their job or to business or whatever it is, it just seems like everything just kind of falls in place for them. I, I have a friend like that. <clears throat> uh, he, is, he is great at business. And uh, it seems like like business opportunity after business opportunity just seems to fall in his lap. Uh, he and I have been friends for, for years. Uh, went to, started out in kindergarten together, graduated from high school together, so we've known each other forever. <clears throat> so at the age of 26, this guy starts his own business. Uh, and so he's got clients all around the world now as so he started his business. Uh, and then he, uh, he took uh, something that was a hobby of his, this kind of one particular sports car that he liked to fix up and work on, and he turned that into a business where now he's, where he's got people all across the, the United States who know him when it comes to this particular sports car. And, and he deals in that, sells and buys them, made just a ton of money off of that. And he's got this computer business that he's started, and, and then he's started in this real estate business that he's gotten. And it just seems like one thing after another falls into his lap, and I'm like, how do you do that? It's just all happening. But the reality is it, it didn't just happen. It didn't just fall in his lap. He was constantly looking for an opportunity. He was constantly looking for the best business deal that he could get, for a way that he could start a new business or work in a business or turn a hobby into a business. He was constantly looking for an opportunity. And that's, that's more the picture that we get when we come to this passage. It's not that we just kind of sit and wait and, and hope that maybe something will happen. It's, it's more the picture that, that we go out and we're looking 
We're looking for an opportunity for the gospel to go forth. We're looking, how might God be placing somebody in my life today that I can share the gospel with? What might God be doing now that I, that I can jump on that opportunity to snatch it up for the gospel to go forth in my neighborhood, in my family, in my coworkers, uh, here around the world, whatever it might be. Is that kind of picture of us jumping on it, looking for it, going for it? Because the reality is we, we have a limited number of opportunities in our life. There's really a limited number of times that we're going to see any one person. There's a limited number of just hours that we have in our life. And so we need to snatch up every opportunity we have because our time is short. The opportunities are limited. When John MacArthur was preaching on this passage, he he spoke to his congregation. He got right to the point. He he got really just blunt uh, with his people. This is what he said. Uh, He said, How much opportunity are you going to squander? When are you going to begin to share Christ with that friend? When are you going to use those abilities and gifts that God has given you? See, every time you have an opportunity, redeem or buy that opportunity. Purchase it for eternity. Life is so short, it's stupid for the Christian to waste it. Buy up the opportunity. As God gives it, as you seek it out, buy it up. Search it out. Because the time is short. Because the reality is that there are people all around us who are on their way to an eternal hell separated from God. So, buy up the opportunity. Look for those opportunities to proclaim the gospel. As Paul says, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders. Show Christ by your actions. You know, you get this picture of you live a holy life. You do your best for others to see Christ through you. But the gospel's advance through us is more than just people seeing how we live. You've probably heard that quote by St. Francis of Assisi, or it's supposedly uh, ascribed to him. You know, it's, it says, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Have you heard that? You know, some of you all have heard that. Uh, I heard that when I was, I was a teenager. I, I even had a t-shirt that had that on it. You know, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. I thought that was really cool. And so I was wearing this t-shirt around. I really liked that idea. Uh, preach the gospel at all times. Let people see how you are, are living so that they see Christ through you. And then only if necessary, then use words. So let it let just shine through your life. But I look back on that and I, I look at that and I say, well, that, that's just wrong. That's just totally antithetical to the gospel. You see, you can never have the gospel proclaimed without words being used. The gospel is not just me and you living out our lives and hoping that people see us and magically see Christ and understand the gospel just through our lives. The gospel is something that must actually be proclaimed by words. If there's no proclamation of the gospel, then no gospel has gotten across to those who are unbelievers. And so we're we're seeing Paul say here to live it out by your lives, but as he's getting ready to move on from this point, he's going to be saying it must be spoken. If you want the gospel to go forth, you must speak it. All right, look with me again. at uh, Colossians 4, we just dealt with 5. Now let's deal with chapter or verse 6. He's going to be dealing with how you speak the gospel. Listen to what he says. Let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how you should respond to each person. 
So he's been dealing with, uh, with how you live it out, how you redeem the, the time, buy up every opportunity. And now he's saying, let your speech be seasoned with grace as though seasoned with salt. Remember, he's writing in the context of unbelievers, those outside uh, the church. So he, he says, speak graciously to those who are unbelievers. Speak in a way that, that is kind, that's courteous, that's loving, that's, that's truthful. But he also says, speak in such a way that it's seasoned with salt. Now, think about what salt does. Salt adds flavor. Have you ever had french fries that didn't have salt on them? They're just not worth eating. You know, a good french fry has salt on it. That's what makes a good french fry a good french fry. It's got to have salt. Seasoning is needed on food. And that's what gives it the flavor that just comes out and that makes your, makes your mouth water. Have, have you ever eaten anything that, that you can just think back on right now and you think about how it tastes, all the flavors coming together, and your mouth just begins to water right now? You know, one of the things that, that I just love in life is eating. Food is, is one of my passions. And, and I can think back about some of the foods that I've eaten, and just, it just makes me hungry thinking about it. I just, my mouth waters. Uh, <clears throat> Jen and I went on vacation just, a, uh, just about a month ago. And we don't hardly ever eat out. You know, we just do it very rarely. But when we go on vacation, we like to eat out. Uh, because it, Jen doesn't have to cook, we don't have to clean up dishes, that kind of thing. We just kind of relax, so we go out to eat. And it's usually not anywhere like really nice, you know. Uh, our going out to eat on vacation is like Chick Fil A and you know stuff like that. But uh, every you know every once in a while vacation, we'll go to you know kind of a nicer restaurant. And then every once in a while, really rarely, like every few years, we'll we'll go to like a like a a nice restaurant, nice for us anyway. You know, we'll go to a nice restaurant, and we did on this last vacation. And we went to this restaurant, and I can remember the food uh, that I ate. I had uh, what they call an ahi tuna. And I don't know if you like seafood or not, but I love seafood. And there was this huge, huge tuna steak. And it was a thick, I mean, it was a nice steak of tuna. And what they, the way they cooked it was they, was they just seared the outside of it and left the inside raw and it was just so tender and good but what really made it was the seasoning that they put on it there was this kind of blackened seasoning kind of cajun kind of style seasoning or something that was over the top of it and then they put uh, this wasabi mayonnaise that was over that was on top of that and man it was good now i don't know if you like something like that but but i do and that is Oh, good. Now, now I've been trying to describe this to make your mouth water, to make you hungry. Did I succeed with anyone? Anybody like that kind of stuff? You know, a few do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There we go. We've got a few. Now, now I've been trying to make it just sound so appealing to you. I, I want you to. I wanted you to know just how good it was for me. I wanted you to know just how flavorful, how much I enjoyed it. Now, when Paul is speaking here. And he says that make sure that your, that your words are seasoned with salt. What, what he's saying here is that make sure that the way you talk about the gospel, the way you speak the gospel, the way you talk about God, the way you talk about Christ, actually shows the fullness of the goodness of who he is. That we don't speak about the gospel or about God, about Christ in a way that is dull and dry. But we speak 
about God, the gospel, the goodness of who he is in such a way that we are proclaiming the best that we can just how good and satisfying he is. That's how we're supposed to speak the gospel so that it it, it makes the mouth water for how good he is. I want you just to think, think for just a moment about who God is. I want you to think about the infinite goodness of God. I want you to think about the mercy that he has poured out upon your life. I want you to think about how he has never left you or forsaken you. I want you to think about the greatest joy that he has ever brought in your life. I want you to think about how he has been your peace through most difficult circumstance. I want you to think about how he has satisfied you above everything else. There is nothing that compares to our God. And so when we proclaim the gospel and when we speak of God to those who are outside of Christ, let us do so in such a way that they hear our words and they can almost taste and see that the Lord is good, as the psalmist says. Because he is. He is all satisfying. As nothing else in this world can come close to satisfying us. And so we need to speak in that kind of way about the goodness of who he is. That's how we're supposed to speak the gospel. That kind of look and see how good he is. In that kind of way. Now, what, what we're dealing with here isn't theory. This, this isn't something where, where, you, where you just, like you're at school and you have a test and you just read and study real quick and, and take the test and never think about it again. It's not like a paper that you write and then never deal with it again. What Paul wants us to realize is that the things that he, are, that he is saying are to be lived out day in and day out. So look what he does next. He says that you let your, your words be seasoned with salt and he brings it down to the individual so that you'll know how to respond to each person. You see, Paul is getting to the point where he's saying, this isn't just about you hearing these words from me. It's about you actually going out and doing it so that you'll actually go out and speak these things to the ones who are outside, to the unbelievers, and that you'll know how you respond to each person. What's built into this is the idea that you're actually going to go out and proclaim this, that you're actually going to go out and share this with those out there. You see, you don't just hear sermons about sharing the gospel and never do it. You don't just read about telling the goodness of God to unbelievers and never do it. Paul's expectation is that believers are going to be sharing the gospel with individual unbelievers. I would go as far to say that in the context of this passage, it is unthinkable to Paul, absolutely unthinkable, that a Christian would go out and never proclaim the gospel. He would say that's not possible. The believer will do that. It'll be on his lips, on her lips, and he'll be proclaiming that to those as as he has opportunity. 
Now, I want you to listen to the flow of this passage, how, how everything's coming together in this. Verses 2 through 4, we've already seen this morning how we are to be praying for the advancement of the gospel, praying for those who proclaim the gospel, praying for those who are the unbelievers, praying that God will do a work that only he can do. Now, in verse 5, we've seen that, uh, that we should be looking for ways that we can proclaim the gospel. We should be living with our lives. We show Christ through the way we live, and we should be looking to buy up every opportunity, take advantage of every opportunity that God grants us to proclaim the gospel. And then, as we get to this, this last verse here, verse 6, we're seeing that we actually are to be the ones who are going out and to proclaim the gospel. And when you do so, know how you're to share the gospel with whoever it is that you're sharing with. You know, every person that we share with, that we come across is going through something different. Every unbeliever that we take the gospel to is maybe struggling with something different. You know, you, you may speak to one person who just really has some intellectual struggles with Christianity. They have, they have philosophical questions that, that they can't wrap their minds around. And Paul says that you need to know how to respond to each person. 1 Peter 3.15 says that we need to be ready to give an answer. So if you're dealing with that kind of person, you need to be ready to give an answer to help them understand the problems, to have an answer to those problems. You know, some that you share the gospel with may be struggling with some deep, entrenched sin in their life, and, and they are just struggling with it. They don't see how they can ever have that sin removed from their life. And so what they need to hear is about the redeeming grace of God, and the mercy of God, and how he can bring victory over sin in our lives. He's destroyed the power of sin. We need to deal wisely with, with each situation, whatever, whatever that situation might be as we proclaim the gospel. So so we've seen how all this comes together. You know, we pray for the advance of the gospel. We, we're actively seeking out to proclaim the gospel. We're buying back the opportunities and taking advantage of every opportunity that comes. We're speaking in a winsome way about Christ. We're sharing the gospel with individuals. And so I want to, I want to as we get to the end, I, want to, I just want to get to the heart of the matter, I think. When, when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to missions, when it comes to the advancement of the gospel, I, I don't think that the greatest need of the church is more resources. I, I don't think it's a new Bible study. I don't think it's a new tract. Those, thing, those things can be great and they can be so helpful. But I, I don't think that's our greatest need. I think our greatest need when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to missions, when it comes to the advancement of the gospel is for the church to do what we see the church doing in the book of Acts. The greatest need for the advancement of the gospel, uh, as far as what we can do on our end, is for us to pray and for us to actually be about the business of proclaiming the gospel. For us to be about the business of praying to the only one who is able to change hearts. To have this kind of unwavering, unceasing prayer for the advance of the gospel, whether it's people in our family or people in Peru or our co-workers or whoever it might be, that kind of devoted prayer that we talked about this morning. And then also for us to be about the business of proclaiming it. For us to actually go out and redeem the time 
to buy up every opportunity that comes our way and to look for those chances to share the good news of Christ to those who are around us. I think this is, this is how the gospel advanced in Acts, from this room of just a few followers of Christ to the gospel being advanced and churches being uh, planted all throughout the Roman Empire. And so we have the same God. We have the same access to prayer. We have the same Holy Spirit living within us. And we have the same gospel that they had. And so let us be that people who prays and goes out in trust in God and faithfully proclaims the gospel to those that we encounter. And so this week, I encourage you, I challenge you to pray for the advancement of the gospel in your own life. That God will just open your eyes to the opportunities that he places around you and those countless people that you pass every week to open your eyes to those and for you to be courageous and bold and accurate in sharing the gospel and trust that as you step out that he'll do his work because he's the one that does the work we're the ones that will be faithful instruments in his hands so let's be that let's do that this week let's pray Father, we are so grateful for your word. We're so grateful for the gospel. And we are just reminded that there is none like you and none satisfies like you. Help us as we go out to share that, proclaim that, live that out among all that we encounter, that they will see you in us and that they will hear us speaking about how great you are. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Before we go...